Welcome to Four Scores. I'm your host, John Burlingame. This podcast series brings together the most accomplished film and television composers and reveals the emotional journeys, inspirations, and unique challenges of their work. We're here with Randy Newman, the Oscar and Grammy and Emmy-winning songwriter and composer at his home near Los Angeles. Randy, welcome. And tell me, is this where you do most of your writing? Yes, it, all of it. Do you need to be at a piano, or can you just write with a score paper in front of you? <laughs> you kidding? <laughs> yeah, I need, I need, I need to be at a piano. And there's a great piano in this room. Great one. That's a great piano. I stumbled into it. I played a concert in Santa Barbara. It was a noticeably good piano, and I said, "If you ever want to sell it, let me know." The piano store there was going out of business, and. I got it. So you got a deal as well. No, not. I don't think so. Are you kidding? <laughs> Everything I touch returns to uh, more more money. <laughs> we want to talk about your 24-year history with Disney and Pixar films. Yeah. Hmm. Was Toy Story your first work for Disney? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think I did James and the Giant Peach came before it, maybe. Maybe you were uh, working on those songs at the time? Uh, yeah, the they, were, time. they were close. Yeah. yeah, they were around the same time. Was that your first experience then with working with animation? Yes. I'm not sure whether it was Toy Story or James. I, I can't remember, but I mean... But they were all, around the same all time. I had to do, all I have to do is look it up and it'll be there. <laughs> you know. What made you say yes to Toy Story? I wanted to see if I could do it. Uh, animation and work for Disney is always has been a, a bit of an honor, you know, to do some of their animated pictures. But you saw it as a challenge too. Oh yeah. Why? Because I knew that it was different than scoring a, a feature. I, I knew that essentially, when they're moving up there, you have to be moving a bit, or it doesn't look right. The characters. Yeah. So that's a lot of extra notes, maybe. Yes. And just the amount of extra notes, for me, is the challenge. Did they tell you right off that they wanted songs as well as score? They sort of wanted to get away from a Disney musical idea. That mm -hmm. wasn't going to be the, what the picture was. They still needed some songs in there. So, you know, You've Got a Friend in Me has sort of become iconic. Maybe one of your now best-known songs. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. How did it come about? Uh, they wanted to emphasize the special relationship that Andy and Woody had. And they said, you know, that they're really friends, best of friends, and, and they would do anything for each other. And so I always try and get as much information from the filmmakers as possible on a song. You know, adjectives, nothing musical, except fast, slow. I find that that is best for me. 
to work with. So they said, friendship. So I said, you got a friend, you got a friend, you got a friend in me. Yeah. I think it probably goes without saying that this isn't the kind of Randy Newman song we were accustomed to hearing. It's so optimistic. It is. It's, I'm not, I don't think I'm that pessimistic, but I write about people most often who we in the audience know better than they do that they're a little, they're wrong somehow. It seems like a picky little thing to write about, but I got about 150 songs out of it, I guess. <laughs> it's, uh, it's character that interests me, and that's what I do, I try to do. This song was an assignment, and there's nothing I disagree with in it. I was glad I wrote it, proud of it, but different, yeah. I'm glad that things like this jerk me to the middle of the road a bit. I still write the way I write, but sometimes I get tired of myself. You know, <laughs> I get tired of uh, the style I have. It, it, I don't do it on purpose. Just there's no, uh, you don't have to do it on the side of your mouth. <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, straight, straight ahead. Do the lyrics tend to come first? Or is that often the tune? It's almost always music. Now, with these songs, since I have a good idea of what I'm going to be writing about, the lyrics might come around the same time. It wasn't like you got a friend and I had to write music for it. I was just fooling around and then the song started for me. The tune came. Yeah, at least a lick came, you know, like a shuffle in that case and in many others. <laughs> um, so was that a help when it came time to do the score or did the songs become sort of musical foundation of writing the score or are they two different things somewhat yeah, I think there were scenes I used certainly in, I used it in three and four but not much I, I may have used strange things this is another song from one in another cue and I may have used certainly the buzz song I did use parts of, you know, horns, horn stuff in the arrangement. In uh, I will go sailing no more. So you mentioned before that if the characters move on screen, you really need to match that musically? It's changing now. It may be because it's so goddamn hard to do. People are not doing that in animated stuff that I see as much. I think it's the Carl Stalling style. Which is to hit which everything. Which is inimitable, which is unimitatable, is, I think, fading a little bit. So is it more about striking a mood then for a scene? I think so. I still move them when they're moving. I had experience in Monsters. I think it was the second one. That, you know, they scamper across the, the couple hundred yards of uh, territory. You know, they, they're running. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was going, and I was thinking, and it didn't work. I mean... It always looks so right when you do it. That's why I do it, you know. Sure. But I asked my music editor, Bruno Kuhn, 
what is, what's wrong with this? Says, well, you see, they don't have feet. <laughs> they were monsters. <laughs> and, and so they went and go, bump, 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 and, and uh, it didn't work. <laughs> That's why it didn't work. Yeah. They didn't have feet. Yeah. So going back to the original Toy Story, I remember you did a duet with Lyle Lovett on that song. Yeah. It did. At, was that at the end of the picture, right? I, I think so. Yeah. 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 It's always fun, that kind of thing. Why? Because there's somebody else there, and, and uh, it's not all on me. We did the Academy Award, and he was nervous. I said, listen, really, it's just third-rate vaudeville <laughs> that we're doing here. The sound won't be good. You know, it's, of course, it's a big event for, the people for a day. Don't worry about it. Take it easy. So we were going to do the song, and I came in like four bars too early <laughs> after telling him not to be nervous. <laughs> and uh, Bill Conti saved me. You know, I did four bars more of that. Wow. And Bill Conti was the music director. Yeah, right here. he was conducting. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Did you foresee the success of Toy Story? No. It was the biggest grossing movie of the year. Was it really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a good one, too. It's really a good picture. I looked at it again because I was doing four. It holds up. And revolutionary picture, too. It was the first computer animated picture, as I recall. Yeah, it was. For that reason alone, it's a kind of cinematic landmark. The characters are adults. Their emotions are adult emotions, except for Andy, who was a kid. Right. But you, you take it seriously, obviously, you know, there's no, no winking. That must have been a big help in sort of figuring out what you would do musically, right? I knew it. You know, anybody who's hurt, you play hurt. So Pixar came back to you for A Bug's Life. Yeah, in 1998, was, which was a very different movie, and it's about it's about a misfit ant yeah. who seeks help fighting off greedy grasshoppers. Yeah, that, that was it. Real villain in it, you know. It's 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 good. It's got the best jokes of any of them. You know, I've only got 24 hours. Guys watching this really crappy circus, and he says, "I got 24 hours to live. I ain't gonna spend it here." <laughs> <laughs> So what kind of shape is the movie, are these Pixar movies in when you get them? Are they still pretty rough or is the animation pretty finished? Uh, Sometimes it's pretty finished and sometimes it's rough. But the timings stay essentially the same. So you can do it. I remember, I think it was in Bug's Life, where someone swings and whaps into a cliff. So you have to know when he whaps into the cliff because you're playing it. That was rough when I saw it, but time stayed the same, so it was all right. Mm, yeah, so you were able to be in sync musically. Yeah. Yeah. I swear you have the best sense of musical Americana of anybody working now. Thank you. And I wonder where that comes from. Well, I like Copeland and uh, the wide open stuff. Uh, Part of it comes from writing songs. I mean, I don't necessarily get tired of triads. I don't mind going one, four, five occasionally. 
there seems to be a strain of Americana that flows through a lot of Bugs' life. Yeah. I mean, can you talk about what was necessary musically and maybe a highlight or two that you remember? They wanted to set that sort of island of Bugs as a community. And I guess I chose Americana to do it with. That's what they meant, you know, that it was a our town, sort of. I did it. It was a good cue, too. But they got this goddamn dragonfly flying over it. Just, <laughs> he can't hear it. And it was so important to him, too. It's a funny thing that happens. There's a great moment when Flick encounters the big city for the first time. Yeah, it Yeah, I remember. It's a little Gershwin-esque, maybe? Yeah, a little. A little Alfred Newman-esque and... Uh, <laughs> It's a wonderful moment musically. Yeah, it is. It reminds me my, when my dad was a kid, he and Lionel. Meaning your uncle. Uh, uncle Lionel wrote songs. And one of them that I remember they told me was uh, a thing about New York. Top of the crowds of people everywhere. <laughs> and it reminded me of that a little bit. <laughs> so that came back a little bit. Yeah, it did. <laughs> That's funny. Maybe we should talk a little bit about your family. You mm. are from a fairly prominent Hollywood musical family. Uh, maybe you should talk a little bit about your uncles, your very, famous uncles. Very prominent, considering uh, what a small field it is, really. Alfred Newman and Lionel Newman and Emil Newman. Were your uncles. Were my uncles, and, and they were film composers. And Lionel was head of music at Fox for 45 years. And Emil... Uh, did the Sonia Henning movies, the Danny Kaye pictures. He did a lot of stuff that was very hard to conduct. He was a very good conductor, all right. All three of them were great conductors. Yes, they were. They really were. No doubt about that. They I mean, were, the, some they people were certainly that, the best. Some people say Alfred was the greatest conductor Hollywood ever saw. Well, he was. There's no, it's not even close. Did you watch him work at Fox? Yeah. Saw some stuff. The robe I remember seeing. That was in the 50s. You must have been yeah, a kid. Yeah, I was a kid had to be real quiet on the stage because there was no booth or anything that you could get to. Oh, wow. So um, do you think you inherited some of that musical DNA? Probably. There's so many musicians in the family that there probably is some genetic predisposition to it. Uh, just like crime <laughs> and alcoholism. <laughs> Four Scores is brought to you by the Four Scores Playlist, featuring music and interview clips from each composer featured in the podcast series, including Randy Newman's classics from all four Toy Story films, as well as Cars, Monsters, Inc., A Bug's Life, The Princess and the Frog, and so many more. The Four Scores Playlist is available on all major music streaming services. Experience the magic behind the music you love whenever you want. You started out as a songwriter in the sure. 60s. Still um, am. Yes, well, yes, as a matter yeah. of fact, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not forget that. Yeah. But you obviously were also a trained orchestral composer. I've proven to be such, yeah. I, I was. You've been able to actually do both throughout your career, which I don't think too many people have been successful at. You have. No, maybe not. 
But you know, I always thought I'd be a film composer when I when I got older. You know, starting when I was a little boy, it was a job I saw, and it looked difficult. None of them ever said it was easy, but it looked possible. You know, let's say. And my father, who's a, a brother of Alfred and uh, Emil Lionel, he always thought that was the greatest art form there was. Of course, because his brothers did it. You know, I'd have a have a record come out, and they'd say, "When are you going to do a picture?" <laughs> and I thought, "What the fuck? What do you mean? When are they going to do a picture? Look, here's the record. It's there's a lot more attention on this than there'll ever be on movie music, which is true." You know, I had the feeling the family was looking over my shoulder when I was writing and stuff. It wasn't like, oh boy, I can't wait to play this for Uncle Al, you know. They weren't that way so much. So to get back to Disney for a second, what about Toy Story 2? Did you have any qualms about doing a sequel to your most popular movie? No. I mean, I didn't. I mean, I, I trusted them by that time. They're the best pictures I've done, I think. The Toy Stories are, anyway. Also, talk about the people that you work with. It seems to me that lots of people just assume you just sort of show up and write music, but working with the directors and producers is as big a part of it. It is. I've complained about that in in the past, about having to work with people who aren't musicians. and You know as well as anybody, it's an arcane field. You know, people think it would be nice to have something that sounded like Pink Floyd on a on a movie and stuff like that, and it doesn't work. It's got to be specific to the scene you're working on. It doesn't even fit when director will take it from a scene that you wrote it for and put it in another one. It doesn't quite work the same way. Certainly in animation, it doesn't because there's too much stuff to notice. But I've had no uh, difficulty. In fact, I have no difficulty with anyone. It's the director's picture, and I'll do what they want. When somebody loved me, everything was beautiful. Every hour we spent together lives within my heart. And when she was sad, I was there to dry her tears And when she was happy, so was I When she loved me To go back to Toy Story 2 for a second, um, there's a great song in Toy Story 2, When She Loved Me. Um, Thank you. It's... I think it's one of your most touching ever. Tell us about writing that. What inspired it? They wanted to do Jessie, the cowgirl. They wanted to have her explain to Woody what her life has been like and why she's the way she is. And they wanted to do it with the song. So I wrote it. And I thought I had real concern. And they animated to the song. And what I said in the song, they, they, they did, essentially, I think, with that one. I had some concern that five-year-old, six-year-olds wouldn't sit for it. I said, you know, are you sure you want to do this at this length? Or, you know, it worried me. And I saw a preview of it with uh, 
five to ten year old kids. They they just sat there. They're great at story stuff. They must have worried on the first picture until they learned that they don't laugh at the jokes. Real young kids, they laugh. If someone falls down, they laugh. But they sure sat there for this. I mean, they 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 uh, they're following the story. Yeah, it really worked. Yeah, I think it's one of the best things I did for them, the songs. And the singer was Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah, Sarah McLaughlin, of course. And she did it, and every time, it was dead in tune and was just perfect. She was really something in the studio. It's one of the best I've seen. I, I work with a lot of people. And a great choice for that song, too. She was. She was their choice. They loved her, yeah. But, you know, it was a real good one. So Monsters, Inc. was next in 2001. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you've got Billy Crystal and John Goodman. Yeah. Who, as I recall, actually sang your song. They did, yeah. Uh, and It took that to get me an Academy Award. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's the people who aren't singers doing it. <laughs> um, so the song was called... Uh, if I Didn't Have You. And you wind up winning. Nothing. Yeah. You wind up winning an Academy Award. And if I remember correctly, you had been nominated 16 times without a win. About that. Might have been more. (laughs) It was a lot. I remember you going up to get the Oscar. Yeah. And the first thing you said, and the uh, the whole crowd stood up for you. They did. I know the orchestra did. I saw that. Oh, the whole crowd stood up. No kidding. That's nice. And your first words were. I don't want your pity. Yeah, I did say that. <laughs> yeah. I don't... Uh, I, I, I don't want your pity. Uh, I want to thank, first of all, the uh, music branch for giving me so many chances to be humiliated <laughs> over the years. I, I have nothing. I'm absolutely astounded that, that I won for this. Though... Uh, walking out here and having someone this beautiful giving me award, I'll never get to heaven, but that's as close as you get, I think. You know. Uh, thanks very much. I'm thrilled. It's funny. I, it's symptomatic of my life. I think what I wanted in my life was for these great musicians whom I saw as a five, six-year-old boy, you know, that looked like giants, you know, people like that, to respect me. And so I didn't notice the audience, but I was looking at the band, the orchestra, and they stood up and they told them not to if I want, you know, not to do anything. And I looked and I I was like, it sort of caught me like I was going to almost cry. And I said, Jesus Christ, you can't cry up here in this place. (laughs) You know, and and I held up, all right, but it kind of got me. It's a reminder of the respect that you have from the musicians in this town. Thank you. It's absolutely true. It means a great deal to me, that does. Why do you use L.A. orchestras regularly? Well, they're awfully good. They're awfully good, and they're uniquely versatile. They can play 1930s jazz, 1950s jazz. The stuff they play best and easiest, just read, is 20th century, 21st century stuff. I've been at some of your recording sessions, and you always keep the musicians amused. Yeah, can't help it. Uh, I remember Alfred telling 
Lionel that he shouldn't joke around so much as he did up there in the stand. But I don't know. I don't think it hurts me any. In fact, I think it helps a little bit sometimes. Their lives are difficult now. You know, there's less work. I'm not saying I'm visiting them in the hospital and bringing joy <laughs> to them, but there, there's uh, less work. And sometimes they'll do sessions that are like 12 bases. Just, you know, uh, six hours of, of that. And it can be killing. Those are the best times I have, I think, are out there uh, with the orchestra mostly. And, uh, I like it. Do you enjoy conducting? Yeah, I do. Is it about making music with an or with a band? That's right. Yeah, it's not about you know power. The only way I'd be part of a big orchestra like that is with a stick. You know, I don't play well enough uh, to play the stuff that I write for. Well, it's been a great pleasure. I mean, I think this is the last cue where you're all here. Uh, I've enjoyed it. As always, I love it uh, being with you. And some of the orchestras have gotten pretty big. I remember being there for Toy Story they're 4. Big, they're big, yeah. You had 100 players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had it before. I mean, I'm sure I had it on two, all the big stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know that sounds horrendous to people who... Uh, or having to use no orchestra, but... Why did these scores uh, need an orchestra that size? They just soak it up. It never seems like too much. Part of it is how you choose. I mean, I I like having uh, 30 violins, you know? Why not? But it almost never looks too big for what's up there. It just... Their pictures just soak it up. I also wonder... And I wonder what you think about this. Do you think also that having an orchestra play helps to bring animation to life in a funny way? To sort of help us believe these are real characters? Maybe, because traditionally it's been, it's always been orchestras that have done it. They wanted, in part, to use an orchestra because they were worried that the computer would be cold. But it wasn't. That was never off-putting. It didn't look chilly. An orchestra was right for what they were doing. Yeah. But it wasn't, they didn't need it. So what about Toy Story 3? Here's, again, was a very emotional story. I mean, I, I, I think we all thought it was the end of the saga. Yeah. And I wonder how much pressure there was on you to underline the emotion there. A, a lot of pressure. I mean, it was real important to them. Uh, you know, one of the things you run into, they've got a temp track, which is a means. I mean, on this show, they must, everyone must know what a temp track no, is. No, you should explain it. But a temp track is music that a director will have laid in there while he's cutting and looking at the picture, just to give a semblance of what it'll be. And it can prove problematic, to say the least, for composers, because after that amount of time, they'll fall in love with it, you know? And... They like what they got, and they have to learn to let go of it because you can't use it. It's something else. But it's hard on the composer because they miss it. They want you to match that. They want you to sort of match it. So in Toy Story 3, I thought, 
the temp track was too sophisticated sounding for what was going on. A little girl and Andy going off to college. So I wrote something else, and uh, and it worked out. And it was better. It was better for the picture, yeah. Sure. I mean, I don't remember a dry eye in the house at the end of Toy Story yeah. 3. We were all just dissolved in tears. I think 4, too. That's what I'm hearing. No, that's but, another one, but too. But 3, definitely, yeah. Yeah. So when you write uh, particularly emotional music, do you find yourself in tears? No, not much. No, I'm usually pretty happy when I think of something that I believe. I feel it when I write something that's supposed to be emotional. I feel it evoked and sort of know it'll work. Short of crying, I wrote one song that made me cry. I don't know why, but it did. Uh, Or I couldn't get through it. (laughs) It was embarrassing as hell. You know, I'd play it for someone to be crying at my own stuff. Uh, but mostly, no. And you won another Oscar for your song from Toy Story 3. It's amazing but, uh, what I've gotten Oscars for, really. Don't you turn your back on me. Don't you walk away. Was it hard to top yourself after you'd written You've Got a Friend in Me and then If I Didn't Have You, then you do We Belong Together? I mean, how do you top yourself? You know, I don't think I do, but but uh, they're all separate jobs. It's fulfilling the requirement of the picture of saying something or doing something that they want and that works. That's all. That's all I... I tried to do is make it work. I can't let you. I can't let you. I can't let you throw yourself away. There's also two songs in Toy Story 4 Ballad of the Lonesome Cowboy and I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away. Yeah. Talk about those. I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away is there's a character, uh, Forky, in the picture, who hears somehow that he's like should be recycled <laughs> and should be trashed and he, and he keeps trying to throw himself away you know throw himself out of the car and do things and Woody is in charge of trying to stop him because it means so much he's Bonnie's favorite she made him and it's important to her so Woody is trying to to help it's an odd idea that they had and it's kind of a great one in that Woody doesn't have a place anymore. He's lost his place as the prime toy because Bonnie naturally likes other toys, you know, a doll or anything. And she loves this little thing. But he's not the head guy anymore. And, yeah. What's the most fun about working in film? For me, it's working with the orchestra. It's doing it it's those six, 12, 18 hours, however many. Writing is hard. There's no way, no way out of it. That's big. But as I say, the reward is doing it with the orchestra. 
How do you balance your career? I mean, you've you've had a couple records come out uh, in, in the last few years, as yeah. well as the film scores. Mm. Do you see those as two very different aspects of of your musical life? Not completely different. I mean, my last record I used the orchestra, but yes, they're, they're different things. You know, as you know, as we both, or I'm hoping to benefit from, there's. Tremendous interest now, more interest in film music. But it's not like when I perform. I'm not saying it's short money, <laughs> but it is. <laughs> they don't pay conductors what they deserve. Will you do more uh, film scores? I think so, if they come along. I've been open to offers. Uh, there's pictures I would have liked to have done. But you, you do get typecast, you know, do the cartoon. And so I get offered a cartoon. What's next for you? Oh, bit of oil painting in Kauai. <laughs> I don't know what's next. I'm writing some songs, I think. Oh, good. Will there be a new album? Yeah, eventually there will be. When, I don't know. I mean, my work habits are, when I don't have a picture to do when you got to work while you're away, are, are dreadful, you know. I make an album, then 10 years later, another one. It's inexcusable, really, but that's what I've always done. And people are happy with it. It makes it special. They're not as happy as they would be if there were three <laughs> you know, in the 10-year period. That's not much to ask, either. Well, we hope that there's going to be more of well, both. thank you. Both the films and the, uh, and the songs. The music's hard enough. I don't mean to scare any kids, but... You get better at it all the time. There's room, plenty of room to get better at it. So I think in a lot of respects, I'm better than I was you know, 10 years ago, the more I've done. Yeah, the value of experience. Yeah. Well, thank you, Randy, for spending this thank time you, with John. us Thank you, John. It's always a pleasure. We love your music. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to hear. Ladies and gentlemen of the Academy. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Four Scores. Please subscribe and make sure to share this episode with your music-loving friends. It'd also be great if you can rate it because that really helps others find the series. See you next time.